Well, welcome to a new year. How do you feel? How was Christmas? How's the family? Uh, aren't you glad that COVID has gone away, right? Socrates famously said that the unexamined life is a life not worth living. And so I want to begin this new year with two questions for you. I want to ask you, what are two things that you learned in 2021? Maybe you can jot them down on your bulletin this morning. And what are two focuses that you have for 2022? Call them resolutions, call them goals, call them areas that you want to focus on as we move into this new year. Uh, I sat down a, about well, a few days ago, about a, a week ago, and came up with some guiding principles uh, for this new year. And they're actually in the, uh, the Tennessean this morning, but I want to share them with you uh, here. And these are short, 10 guiding principles for a new year. Number one, identify your top priorities and intentionally invest your time and your resources in them. Number two, seek to be a non-anxious presence in the midst of a chaotic world that is full of fear. Number three, accept the fact that COVID is now endemic and it's not going away and so we have to live with it responsibly. Four, surround yourself with people who will tell you the truth and make you a better person. Invest in those relationships. Five, stay away from toxic people who are always negative, cynical, and who have a problem for every solution. Six, keep an ongoing gratitude list and constantly add to it. Seven, self-care is important and nobody else can do your self-care. Eight, spend less time on social media and more time face-to-face. Nine, pray, meditate, and reflect on a regular basis. Slow your mind down. And 10, pick and choose your battles wisely because you cannot fight them all. Now, as a church, if you recall, we always have three focus areas going into each new year. And this year, 2022 at Woodmont, our three focus areas are going to be worship, the importance of worshiping, the second is small groups, and we want to get more small groups started uh, with Jay on board, and we want to find new small group leaders and support the groups that we have. And then our third is hands-on mission. We want our members to go and serve in the community because that is part of living out our faith. And you'll hear more and more about those three goals as we move further into the new year. Uh, today we're starting a new sermon series called Simply Jesus. And uh, we're going to journey through Matthew's gospel. We kind of already started with the uh, birth narratives uh, around Christmas. And I'm recommending a, a great book to you if you want a guide by N.T. Wright, New Testament scholar at St. Andrews, called Simply Jesus. It's a great book if you want to read something as we go through this series. But I'm going to keep a tradition alive, and I'm going to do something today that I've done every first Sunday of the new year since coming to Woodmont uh, 14 and a half years ago. And that is, as a part of this series, I'm going to share with you my core beliefs that I hold as a pastor, as a husband, as a father. And as I share my core beliefs, I want to challenge you to think of your core beliefs. Maybe your list is like mine, maybe it's a little bit different, but I want you to think about that as I share with you this morning. In Matthew chapter 7, at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus tells us about two people who are building their houses, which is really a biblical metaphor for building their lives. The first person builds his house on shifting sand, and when the storms of life come, the rains pour down, the rivers flood, the winds beat against the house, it falls with a crash, 
because it had been built on shifting sand. But the second person, Jesus tells us, builds his house on solid rock, a firm, solid foundation. And when the storms of life come and the rains fall and the winds blew and it beats against the house, it does not fall because it had been built on solid rock. And so Jesus goes on to say very explicitly, whoever hears these words of mine, and remember, this is at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, and acts on them will be like the wise man who built his house on rock. But whoever hears these words of mine and does not act on them will be like the foolish man who built his house on sand. So as we begin 2022, I'm asking you, what is the foundation upon which you're building your life? What are your core beliefs? What are your values? What are your priorities? What's most important to you? What are you committed to? What are the most important relationships that you have in your life? What are you putting in place to help you withstand the storms of life? Not, not if they come, but when they come. I think all of us have learned over the past two years that we all face storms in life, no matter who we are. And so we need to have these, these beliefs, these foundations in place when the storms of life come, because the storms of life come for all of us. And I once heard somebody say, you're either going into a storm, you're in the middle of a storm, or you're coming out of a storm. And I found that to be profoundly true uh, in my own life. So here are my core beliefs, and I want to share them with you today, and I want you to think about your own. First and foremost, I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. I've always believed in God, and I always will believe in God. Now, does that mean that there's never been a time in my life when I've questioned God? Absolutely not. There have been times in my life when I've doubted God or asked questions about God. I think it's a part of being human. I think it's a part of being honest. It's a part of struggling with the things that life sends our way. We go through times when we get angry with God when we don't understand why certain things are happening. But as we grow older, hopefully all of us can grow into our own understanding of God and who God is. Rabbi Harold Kushner once said, God is not a man who lives in the sky. The great Riverside preacher, a place that I worked for a couple of years, Harry Emerson Fosdick once said, when somebody would come to him and say, Dr. Fosdick, I don't think that I believe in God. He'd say, well, tell me about the God that you don't believe in. And they'd go on to talk about it. He'd say, you know, I don't think that I believe in in that kind of God either. Um, A master puppeteer inflicting pain on some but not on others. We must move to a much deeper understanding of God and who God is. G.K. Chesterton once said, when people stop believing in God, it's not that they believe in nothing. It's that they believe in anything and everything. And anything can become your God. Frederick Nietzsche predicted in Western culture that one day money would become the God for most people, and sadly, he was right. I believe in a God of love, mercy, compassion, forgiveness, as revealed to us through Jesus Christ in the New Testament. I believe in a God that is the eternal home of the human soul. And St. Augustine was right when he said, Lord, you've made us for yourselves, and our heart will be restless until it finds its rest in you. I believe that God is a great mystery. And we can spend our entire lives seeking God and discovering truths about the nature of God. That's why theology is a lifelong endeavor. That's why in Micah 6, 8, it says, what does the Lord require of you? But, but to, to, to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with God. Now, 
I don't just believe in a God who is up there or out there somewhere, but I believe in a God who is everywhere, including right here, right now, present in this sanctuary. The Bible says in Acts 17, it is in God that we live and move and have our beings. There's no place where we can go where God isn't. God is like the air we breathe, the breath of life. God is within us. God is all around us. Now next, because I believe in God, I also believe in love. And First John says that God is love and those who love are born of God and know God. Whoever does not love does not know God, for God is love. <clears throat> I believe that our world needs more love and less anger. Love holds everything together in life. Love is the force that gets us through the worst situations in life. Love, love is always present, always there, but sometimes we just don't tap into it. We must remind ourselves that God wants us to love each other and not hurt each other. God is calling us to build each other up and not tear each other down. And part of learning to love means learning to overcome fear. There's too much fear in our world. Uh, and, 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 and as long as we have fear, that means we have more room to love because love can drive out fear. Jesus taught the concept of agape love. Uh, could be defined as unconquerable goodwill to other people. It means loving those who have hurt you in the past, loving those who might be difficult to love sometimes. And that includes forgiveness, practicing forgiveness, not just talking about forgiveness. Um, we can't say that we believe in forgiveness if we never practice forgiveness. And, and until we learn how to truly love other people and forgive other people, then we are, we are not really alive. We are just existing in this world. We're going through the motions, and we certainly are not experiencing the fullness of life that Jesus talks about in John 10. Paul gets more specific. He says, love is patient, love is kind. It's not envious or boastful or arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. Um, it doesn't rejoice in wrongdoing. It rejoices in the truth, bears all things, believes all things, it hopes all things and it endures all things. Next, as a minister in the Reformed tradition, I was uh, trained at Princeton Seminary. My theology is very Christocentric, which is a fancy word saying Christ-centered. It was influenced by guys like Karl Barth and John Calvin and Jürgen Moltmann. I believe in Jesus Christ, God's son, our Lord and Savior, and I wholeheartedly believe that in Jesus Christ, God brings forgiveness, liberation, reconciliation, and new life into this broken and hurting world. Now, being a Christian means much more than just believing in Jesus. Knowledge of Jesus cannot be academic knowledge or historical knowledge. It must be faith knowledge. We have to know Christ on a personal level so that he can transform and change our hearts. If we want to become more like Christ, then what should we do? We should develop the fruits of the Spirit that Paul talks about in Galatians 5. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, generosity, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Which of these do you need to work on as we move into 2022? Write them down and make an intentional effort to incorporate them into your life. Next, because I believe in Jesus Christ... I also believe in the church, the community of believers. And, and as the Mayfield, Kentucky pastor said when their church was destroyed by a tornado a few weeks ago, he said, the church is not a building. We've lost a beautiful building. But the church is made up of people, you and me. 
when we gather together to worship God and to serve each other and to love each other. Um, my grandfather pastored in Fort Lauderdale, Florida, and he always said that, that, that it's the church that brings lifelong friendships of the very best kind, and he meant it, and I believe it because I've experienced it over and over again. It's always been clear to me that there is a direct tie or correlation between one's active involvement in the church and one's mental, physical, and spiritual well-being. And, and again, I'm not making this up. Research has proven that those who are involved in the church, uh, actively involved in the church, are much healthier. Marriages are stronger. Families are closer. Uh, the rates of divorce and depression and suicide are lower for those who are actively involved in the church. And this has been proven time and time again. Now, the church is not perfect. Never has been. In, in fact, I'll tell you this, if you want to find something wrong with the church, you can do it. And if you can't find something, come to me and I'll tell you what's wrong with the church. But we journey together, we love each other, even when we disagree, and we have to put the church and our faith in God before everything else in life. You know, human beings are hardwired to worship. And if we don't worship God, and if we don't gather together as a community to worship God, then we're going to find something else to worship in our lives. Now, next, as a Christian, I believe in the Bible, God's word, which provides the foundation and wisdom for our lives. Now, I always say this very clearly. I don't worship the Bible. I worship God. I'm not a fundamentalist because academically I see some <clears throat> glaring inconsistencies with that particular approach to Scripture. However, I don't believe in just throwing Scripture out <clears throat> when it's not convenient. We have to wrestle with the text. It's through the Bible that we come to know God and Jesus Christ the best. Stephen Prothero, a professor at Boston University, once wrote this book called Religious Literacy. And he famously said in the book, he said, you know, many people in our country say that they believe in the Bible, yet they don't ever bother to read the Bible. And so he says, for a book that's so important to so many people in our culture, why don't we read and study scripture more than we do? So I'm challenging you in the new year, read and study the Bible. We're going to journey through Matthew. So start at the beginning of the New Testament. Read and, and study Matthew. Uh, it's important. The Bible will speak to you in profound ways uh, when, you're, when you're taking the time to listen to what God might be saying. We live in a biblically illiterate culture. Uh, and it's been growing and growing and growing. People don't know the Bible. And a lot of times people say, well, I don't, I don't want to go to a Bible study because I, I, I won't know what they're talking about. It says, well, how are you going to learn the Bible if you don't go to a Bible study, if you don't dive in and read and study the Bible? And any of our ministers can give you some suggestions for how you can approach the Bible. And we'll talk about that uh, in the discipleship classes. But I believe that Karl Barth the Swiss theologian was right when he said we should get up every day and approach every new day with the Bible in one hand and a newspaper in the other. And we should see what the Bible has to say about the challenges that we're facing in our world. And I think that's a great way to live. Next, and certainly of the utmost importance, I believe in prayer. I believe in the power of prayer, which includes confession, Protestants often miss that part, and forgiveness. For us as Christians, prayer is the means through which we communicate with God. And remember, communication involves both talking and listening. And it's through prayer that we can forgive others and ask for forgiveness ourselves. Now, prayer is a mystery. We don't understand exactly how it works. 
But all I know is that when I pray, things happen. And you may not be able to name it or, or explain it, but when we pray, things happen. And it doesn't matter where you pray or how you pray or what you say when you pray. What matters is that you pray. And the real secret to prayer is not to see it as some magical a sense of escaping our problems in life, but as a means of asking for God's help in facing and conquering life's troubles and challenges. Uh, somebody once said that through prayer, we should ask God for stronger backs and not necessarily for lighter loads. Now, only those who pray on a regular basis know what I'm talking about here. It makes a difference. And so cultivating a prayer life is so important. Next, I believe in marriage, home, and family life. I have an 11-year-old daughter, a nine-year-old son, and a five-year-old son. And um, life at our house this Christmas and always is busy. It's active. There's lots of things happening. Family life is not easy, but it's very important. It matters. Home and family life is the greatest source of love, support, and joy in this world. But, but not everybody gets to experience that. The quality of your home and family life is one of the most important factors in determining your faith and your outlook in the world. And I'm convinced that children who are born into healthy and happy families grow up speaking love as their native language. And every family has problems and issues and baggage and things that you think, oh, nobody else deals with this. Yes, they do. There's no perfect family. But real family is where you are loved and cared for no matter what and where you can go and feel welcomed and safe no matter what. And if things happen to fall apart for you in your marriage or in your relationship, then guess what? This church is going to be there to help pick you up and help move you forward. Next is someone who believes that faith should be able to withstand the test of mind, heart, and circumstance. I believe in free will and the consequences of it. Frederick Buechner says the greatest single argument against the existence of God is the presence of evil in the world. Simply put, if there is a God who is both good and all-powerful, then, then why do terrible things happen in the world? Why do we have pandemics? Why do tornadoes wipe out churches? Why do we go through divorces and battle cancer? And then Buechner gives his answer when he goes on to say, God wants us to be related to him in the same way that children are related to their parents. In other words, God wants us to love him, and if our love is to be spontaneous and real, then we must be free to not love him with all of its grim consequences of human suffering. Evil exists in the world not because God is indifferent or powerless or absent, but because humans are free. <clears throat> and free we must be if we are to love freely, and free we must be if we are to be human. Now, love is not controlling. Out of love, God has given every single one of us free will, and God hopes that we'll choose faith, but the choice is always ours to make, and unfortunately, many people don't make that choice. Lastly, this morning, I believe in life after death. Death will always be a great mystery to those of us who are on this side of it, but I believe that life goes on beyond the grave because of the words of Jesus who said, I am the resurrection and the life. Those who believe in me, even though they die, will live. And I am convinced that somehow, someday, we will be reunited with those who we've loved and lost in our, in our lives. Maybe it was a spouse, a mother, a father. I look forward to seeing my mom one day, my grandparents one day, friends that I've lost in recent years one day. 
And what a wonderful day that'll be. But it'll always be a mystery to us as we look at death from this side. These are the, the basic foundations upon which I have tried and I'm continuing to try to build my life and my ministry. And these are the beliefs that, 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 that I would call solid foundations. And so I ask you, what are yours? Would you agree with these? Would you add something different? Would you put something new in there? And as we begin this new year, we start this series called Simply Jesus, where we're going to talk about the life, the teachings, the parables, the Sermon on the Mount. What difference do your beliefs make in your life? Are you living a life that's consistent with your foundations and your core beliefs? And, and if you can do this, then you will build your life on a strong foundation. And when the, the storms of life come, not if, when, when they come, you will be able to withstand those storms and flourish and thrive with the help of others and live a life that is faithful to God and faithful to Jesus Christ. So in the words of a poet, until the sun grows cold and the stars grow old and the leaves of the judgment book unfold, this, my friends, is what I believe. Amen.